Welcome to Season 7 of Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, a fascinating journey into the lives of top sports personalities and their connections to Chicago. They reveal entertaining, memorable, and emotional stories many you've never heard before. I'm your host, George Hoffman, and please follow this podcast through our new partnership with Last Word on Sports. Just go to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or wherever you get your podcast. Tell Me a Story I Don't Know is proudly presented by Mr. Duct, Chicagoland's premier comprehensive air duct cleaning and ventilation for residential and commercial properties. They're upfront and honest. Find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. This week we feature a man with two Super Bowl rings, a college football record, and a very astute analyst, Howard Griffith. For me, it all started in Denver. Uh, When I was done, I would do a little, uh, whether it was a radio hit or a radio show or a post-game show for the Broncos. And at the time, you know, they'd give me a $25 gift certificate and say, that a boy, see you next week. So for me, it, it, it obviously wasn't about the money at that point, but it was all about, you know, getting the reps, getting the opportunity to be in front of the camera, being, getting the opportunity to, to talk with producers and, and give my insight. He shares a remarkable record. Howard Griffith once rushed for eight touchdowns in a game while a member of the University of Illinois. That gained him an 11-year career in the NFL, followed by what has been a brilliant career as a studio analyst for the Big Ten Network. A native of Chicago who still lives here, Griffith also is an author and likes golf, especially when he's playing with an icon. So, Howard Griffith, tell me a story I don't know. You know, it was an amazing opportunity for me. You know, growing up here in Chicago, as you mentioned, uh, being a part of, of watching the 85 Bears was a huge part of, of growing up here in Chicago. And whether it was Walter Payton, the Fridge, uh, Mike Singletary, Hampton, all of those guys, and Coach Dicker was a big part of it. And, you know, some years had, take, had, uh, had gone past, and I was already out in the Colorado area at the time. And I had a friend, Rance Rogers, who owned a, uh, a network marketing business, was a representative of one. And his partner uh, in the business was uh, a couple named Kathy and Ralph Oates, who had an unbelievable uh, wellness business uh, going on in Texas. And, you know, I, I think one of the times we had a conversation, he's like, hey, well, you know, you're in Chicago. What do you think Dicker, about Dicker being involved with it? Dicker's the man. I mean, Dicker, anything he puts his hands on turns to gold. Uh, So what ended up happening, uh, a couple of months uh, went by. We ended up meeting in Dallas at one one of the country clubs that uh, Mr. Oates uh, belonged to. And Rance uh, and Coach Dicker and I think one other person were playing with us. So I'm in the cart with Iron Mike Dicker for 18 holes, right? (laughs) Mike Dicker taking a swing. And you you know how competitive he is when you when you watched his interviews and you've seen all the things, way talks, just big, big manly man, a man's man. Doesn't matter which one run. There'll be a quarterback that'll be named next week that'll be the starter. There's three quarterbacks on this football team. Whichever one starts, starts, whichever ones don't, we'll back him up. Period, cut and dry. It's nobody's concern but ours. Nobody's. Next. And I'm telling you, he was so competitive. From the first tee, he hits one and he cranks it out there. I'm like, oh, boy, how about to play catch up? So I'm tooling around and I'm playing military golf, left, right, left, right. And I can tell by the fourth hole, he's getting a little bit frustrated with my inability to keep the ball in the fairway. 
And the other thing was that he played so fast. It was like he was playing ready golf when we were like, hey, hey, just if I can slow down. He didn't take his time. He said, hey, let's go. We got to get to the ball. Get to the ball. Get to the ball. And it was just one shot after another. An unbelievable golfer. Have a cigar every now and then. But it was a lot of fun and really getting to pick his brain a little bit about, you know, how that 85 team was constructed. Uh, just what a great defense they had. And you talk about having a guy like Walter Payton on that team and just really picking his picking his brain about how that team really uh, came together to be able to to win that uh Super Bowl championship because it was a it was really a, a team full of type A characters, big guys that had big personalities. And I think one of the things his biggest challenge was really kind of managing those egos. And I think that's one of the things that happens that sometimes people miss uh, when you're talking about coaches at any level, at, at, whether it's football, basketball, baseball, you still have to be able to maintain you know, some sense of, of unity on that team. And remember, this is a team that was great on the defensive side, as you know, but it was just fun really talking to him about that through the 18th hole, through the 18 holes of golf. It was a lot of fun, but I'm going to tell you, I was under so much pressure playing with him because I was just getting going in my golf, my golfing uh, outing or experience. And the way he would just crank it down the middle was amazing, but you know, it was a great time to spend some time with, you know, a legendary coach here growing up here in Chicago, obviously an icon uh, to so many people here, not only in Chicago, but across the National Football League landscape. And to be able to spend, you know, four or five hours with him, hanging out on the golf course, not hitting the ball particularly straight, watching him get frustrated with me. I was just telling him, I'm glad I wasn't a player on your team. You'd have been chewing me out all the time. So you were playing with the Broncos, I think, when Ditka was coaching the Saints. Did you ever play against yeah. them? I don't believe I did. Um, thinking back now, I didn't. But, you know, everyone knew about him at the Saints because of the legendary interview that he got. Like, every one of his interviews weren't legendary. Or his SI shots with Ricky Williams with the trade that he made to bring him there. Uh, the Saints are going to get him cheaper than they expected. Uh, they're giving up their, their all of their draft this year. Uh, and next year's number one and uh, number three picks so they get ricky williams for less than some people might have imagined chris they couldn't be more excited mike Ditka came in with a big cigar here today i think he just lit it up he had the dreads and ricky had on the dress <laughs> but you know he was always just one of those bigger bigger than life um coaches that were out there you know so one of the things we we really don't they're few and far between those type of coaches that had that type of personality to me one of the biggest things that I always remember, you know, along with the golf, was the time he was relieved of his duties up at uh, the old Hallis Hall. Mm. And he was in the window smoking cigars, talking about he ordered pizza for the staff, and they would just have it look like they were having the time of their lives, although they had just been relieved of their duties. Well, you were, I think you were in college when I was covering Coach Ditka. And mm. I will tell you that he is one of the most unique personalities to cover and when I was a freelance radio guy, I would caution all of my clients, and I had quite a few of them. I said, it's a Ditka Monday, be ready, because it's theater. This is the theater of the absurd. And it was almost every week. When you talked about managing egos, I think the players had to manage his. <laughs> it was right, right? Because you had the offense versus the defense. It was, it was so much, much going on. The legendary Buddy Ryan uh as a defensive coordinator and you know there were a lot of it was a it 
there was tension, you know, without a doubt. You know better than I do. I just oh, saw yeah. it on the outside. But, you know, there was a lot of tension um, offensively and defensively. And, you know, but they figured out how to make it work uh, and really, you know, talk about one of the great teams of uh, NFL history. When you played in Denver, you were primarily a blocker for Terrell Davis, a terrific running back. Yeah. Did you ever feel that you wanted to be a lead guy, whether you were playing in Denver, Carolina, or the Rams in St. Louis? You know, it's interesting. That, that That's a great question. Uh, because by the time I had gotten to the National Football League, I had kind of gotten a sense, because I spent some time on the practice squad uh, when I was in San Diego and also in Buffalo. And, you know, I realized once I got to San Diego that this tailback thing just wasn't going to work out for me. I wasn't going to be you know, the leading rusher or the, the number one back for anybody. And Bobby Ross was the head coach of San Diego at the time. And, you know, he said, hey, Howard, what, what do you think about you know, trying to transition and, and play the fullback position? And I was like, yeah, why not? Because, you know, clearly this tailback thing is not going to work out for me. <laughs> That's just not – if I wanted to have a, a career in the National Football League, it wasn't going to be because I played the tailback position. And I really started to embrace it from that point on and then continue to try to hone my skills to try to be, you know, as good a back as I could be, a blocking back as I could be at that point. So to answer your question, there really was never a time uh, in the National Football League when I wanted to be or thought I could be uh, the number one, the lead back for, for any franchise. But fortunate enough for me, I was able to uh, adapt to the game at the fullback position and be able to play. And, you know, I had a chance to block for some, you know, great players. Jerome Bettis, Hall of Famer. You talked about Terrell Davis, and, you know, the list goes on. Davis, this side, 25, 20, 15, touchdown! Terrell Davis, he has what all great running backs have, and that is another gear. And Bettis get the triple right here already with... Both Steeler touchdowns. They go to the bus. Left side. He's in again. Jerome Bettis. Touchdown. Uh, some of the guys that I had an opportunity to block for. Hey, you did win two Super Bowls with the Broncos. Not many <laughs> players can claim to own two rings, let alone one. Yeah, this is true. And, you know, I, I tell this story sometimes. Uh, in the second Super Bowl, when I scored the two touchdowns, uh, we're going in. Well, actually, let me take you back to the day before. We're having walkthrough. And we knew that uh, when we got inside the five-yard line, we were going to call 33 jab. So Terrell and I always do walk through. We come down to the goal line, or there were some different things we wanted to work on. We kind of just walked through, uh, you know, the play ourselves. And we knew, okay, the ball's on the three-yard line. We're getting ready to call 33 jab. And that's a play. When we get on the goal line, everyone knows that, for the most part, the scouting report was going to tell you, that the ball, if it was a run play, was going to Terrell. Uh, if it was a pass play, it was going to be play action, trying to work some different things. But nowhere in the scouting report did it say, we're going to give the ball to old number 29 and see if he can score. And going into that game, you know, they said, hey, we get this thing on the goal line. Uh, we're calling 33 job. We call it. We score on it. Two tight end set up for the Broncos. Howard Griffith, the ball carrier, puts Denver ahead. Touchdown, Broncos. We get back down there. Uh, again, I think it was after uh, a big catch, and we call it again, and they are not ready for it. 
and there's four. So in this game, he's equaled what he's done the whole season. And he just scored a touchdown. His second touchdown. Yeah. Holy moly, Howard Griffin is going to get something. So lo and behold, we're getting close to the end of the game, and um, we get back down on the goal line, and call comes in from the sideline. 33 jab. So now I've got an opportunity to score my third touchdown in a Super Bowl, right? We're walking to the line, and all of a sudden we hear timeout, timeout, right? <laughs> Mike Shanahan and Gary Kubiak realize at that moment, wait a minute, this is going to be John's, most likely John's last game. We're not going to call this 33 jab. We're going to call quarterback sneak on this play. So we call timeout. We regroup. We get into a formation. Uh, I end up motioning out to the left side as a receiver. Uh, Terrell motions out. And John runs it in for a touchdown. And the rest is history. So I should have had three touchdowns in that Super Bowl. But I only ended up with two. But that's all right with me. Wouldn't you have won the MVP if you had scored three touchdowns? I think it would have been hard not to, and particularly after the job that Terrell done, had done in the run game as well, I think it would have been pretty tough for them not to to award me the MVP. But at the end of the day, you know what? Uh, John had a, a historic career. You know, John is you know obviously a Hall of Fame quarterback, and he's one of those guys that when I tell stories about him playing with John, which was huge, uh, you know, about being a part of that team. When's the last time you had your air ducts cleaned? Here's the best solution, Mr. Duct, a name Chicagoland has trusted for over 20 years. They work on your furnaces, air conditioners, and do repairs, maintenance, and installations. In other words, they're your all-around company for air quality choice and more. Mr. Duct provides on-site commercial ventilation cleaning estimates. You'd be hard-pressed to find better. So give them a call at 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And Mr. Duct is the right choice to clean your residential dryer vents. They do a full inspection to make sure your dryers are running properly. Mr. Duct works with schools, health facilities, and office buildings to make sure you're breathing clean air. Their testimonials are endless, and with good reason. So don't think twice when you're ready to work on air ducts, dry vents, and so much more. Just think Mr. Duct. Duct, 888-4-MR-DUCT. That's 888-467-3828. And find them on the web at mrductcleaning.com. Take me back to your most memorable day as a football player. It's September 20th, 1990. It's in Champaign. You're playing the team or school I went to, Southern Illinois, mm -hmm. where I learned my trade, but that was in the 70s. Tell me yeah. a story I don't know about the day when you scored what was then a record eight rushing touchdowns. You know, we're, we're out on a Saturday night, which you can imagine young people doing some things we probably had no business doing. But... <laughs> And, and I can remember these guys just talking trash. You know, we're going to beat you guys. We're going to do this. And I can remember as it was yesterday, I'm like, dude, I don't even know what you guys are talking about. I'm not even going to be playing in this game come, you know, midway through the, the this first quarter. Because uh, we you guys don't have a chance against us. It, it's not even going to be close. So it, the, it, it really, for me, started there. But the lesson that I learned or that, that we ultimately learned in that game once it started, you know, SIU, I think, goes up 14-0. We may have scored uh, a touchdown. But anyway, it could have been 21-0 at a point. And one of those touchdowns, I'll never forget, um, one of the, the rules as a running back is if you're going to the right, 
not so much now, but particularly then, if you're going to the right, the ball needs to be in your outside arm, which means it's in your right arm. If you're going to the left, it should be in your outside arm. If you're going left, it should be in your left arm. So I'm lined up on the right side uh, of the formation uh, behind the tackle, and I'm getting ready to run a draw play that, that breaks off to the left. So I get the draw. Everything's perfect, but I'm a little hard-headed. The ball stays in my right arm. The linebacker, Kevin Kilgallen, shoots the gap. Uh, we don't get a body on him. He takes the ball from me, literally takes the ball. And it, everything went in slow motion as I'm feeling the ball coming out of my arms and him spinning. And he's, I'm spinning around, and I see him running, and now I'm trying to catch him uh, to try to stop the touchdown. One of the, uh, the defensive linemen comes and hits me in the side, and I'm now I'm on the ground. And I'm sitting there like, you have got to be kidding me. We're supposed to be dominating this game right now. I, I think whatever it was, whatever the score was at that time. Uh, this is unbelievable. And for us to have been backed up on our own goal line, and I don't fumble the ball. He takes the ball from me, not only takes it, but takes it from me and runs it in for a touchdown. I was highly perturbed. <laughs> and so was the rest of the, the team. And that really jump-started us, and I think we ended up running off um, maybe 21 points straight uh, to get into halftime. Uh, I believe it was well, maybe 28 um, to get to halftime. And we're in the locker room, and guys are – we can't believe it because, first of all, we shouldn't be in this type of game. I think we were ranked in the top 10 nationally, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. We're in halftime. John McAvick is going nuts on us. He is so upset that we're playing this way. Come in, we get into the second second half, break off the next couple of touchdowns. So I actually get to uh, number eight. And at this point, I'm like, you know, we don't need to do any more. The, the coach on the opposite side, uh, Coach Smith, who had coached with us, I believe the year or two years before, who I had a lot of respect for and really had a lot of respect in our locker room. And I didn't want to be in a position where we were trying to show them up. And McAvick looked at me. He was like, you're never going to be this close again. So you better, we'll give it one more shot. And we called the pitch play. And I think it was a pitch or, or, or a counter. Second and two from the three. They turn. Here he comes. Off the end. Cuts up. Cuts down. There's the record. I ended up breaking the record, and it was an amazing time. Um, it was just one of those times. It was a special time, a special moment. I can also remember uh, one of the great college football Hall of Famers, just a young pup at the time, Dana Howard, was so excited that he wanted to uh, take this picture because his last name was Howard, mine is Griffith. So we had a picture taken. He said Howard Griffith with the two of us. So, you know, that's one of the things, one of the things that really stuck out to me and, uh, uh, about that game. It's really amazing when you consider it. I mean, you broke yeah. the legendary Jim Brown's record. It was tied mm -hmm. 25 years later. However, yeah. the guy who tied it scored seven rushing touchdowns. Mm -hmm. You have eight. You are still yeah. singular. And you must, <laughs> to this day, you must be very proud of that. Maybe a record that isn't broken. 
you know what? It's one of those things. And guys have been close. It's so funny that um, I think maybe two years later, when Marshall Falk was at, with, was at uh, San Diego State, you know what type of back he was. He got close, and I just knew that, okay, this this record won't last for long. But there have been some players that, you know, have been able to get close and been able to tie. And, you know, it's fun because, uh, you know, around that time in September, uh, my name is mentioned when you talk about touchdown records, you talk about the Southern Illinois uh, game and just the, the anniversary of that. And, uh, you know, it's a fun time. And, and it's still a fun time to this day when, when that time of the year rolls around. It's kind of like for me, Super Bowls as well, uh, because, you know, we talk about, you know, the Bronco teams during those Super Bowl runs each year and, you know, around, um, you know, college football in September, we talk about, you know, the touchdown record as well. So after your career, the NFL, you begin your second career as a broadcaster. Yeah. And how interesting, it's a natural start. You begin in Champaign. <laughs> it was, it, it, it was really, you know, to me, I, I knew that the broadcasting is what it wanted to go into. And one of the things that you know, I, I really only have my parents to really to thank for this, but you know, I was always, to me, I was always interested in what other people were doing, and particularly if people were, were doing something that I wanted to do. And I remember, um, you know, we had several reporters, obviously, in the Champaign area that, that would cover the team. And, you know, you, you learn that you, you start to have relation, a relationship built up because, you know, over, you know, I started for three years there. So, you know, I, I built up some, some goodwill there. And I'm accustomed to talking, you know, to the same media group each and each and every year uh it seemed like and uh you know i just developed a rapport and you know i tugged uh, dan swing on the arm one day and i said you know i want to do what you're doing you know a local sportscaster that, that covered illinois athletics and it ended up turning into a internship <laughs> it turned into an internship where i would go to the station and, and hang around over there a little bit and kind of get an opportunity to see you know, how, you know, he got prepared for his newscast and what happened behind the scenes. And, you know, it was just one of those things that, that, that I've always, you know, taken an interest to the people who covered the sport because it's, it's never been easy for them to do because you're in a locker room, you're asking questions and, you know, sometimes you get people in a good mood. Sometimes you get them in a bad mood, but you got a job to do. Uh, and part of, you know, being a, a student athlete or a professional athlete is, is dealing with the media and really getting your story out there. And, and so I learned that at an, early, at an early age. So it was, you know, it was exciting for me that once my you know, NFL career was over, it was just going to be a natural uh, progression to go into, you know, in the sports. And for me, it all started, you know, for the most part, it started in Denver uh, when I was done, I would do. Um, a little, uh, whether it was a radio hit or a radio show or a post-game show for the Broncos. And at the time, you know, they'd give me a $25 gift certificate and say, that a boy, see you next week. So for <laughs> me, it, it, it obviously wasn't about the money at that point, but it was all about, you know, getting the reps, getting the opportunity to be in front of the camera, being, getting the opportunity to, to talk with producers and, and give my insight. You know, so it, it started there. And John Elway and Mr. Bowling had just purchased uh, the Colorado Crush, and they asked me to be the the play-by-play, -play, well, not the play-by-play, but the analyst 
for that team. And, you know, I was did that for a couple of years. I also covered uh, Colorado State football, uh, traveled around with those guys for a couple of years. And before uh, family and I decided, you know, we wanted to move back to Chicago to be around our parents. And literally when I got back here, um, I was already in talks, you know, with the University of Illinois and Ron Gunther to, to take over, well, to, to join their radio, uh, radio broadcast group with, with Tom Barnhart. So that all was some of the things that, that went into, you know, getting me to the point where broadcasting was where I wanted to be, you know, dealing with the media and then seeing a former player like Jim Grabowski, um, you know, be around the team and, and, and just the way he handled himself it made me want to do it. So, you know, I, I again, going back to when I, I thought I was going to be the radio personality for, for Illinois football, Coach Gunther had also put my name into the hat and told the guys at the Big Ten Network when the Big Ten Network was starting that, you know, hey, you know, Howard Griffith from Illinois, uh, you probably should talk to him. I had already agreed to take the radio job in Illinois, say on a Friday, Monday, Big Ten calls me and, you know, they say, hey, we'd like to meet you this week. Can you come in? Sure. I go in and uh, we sit around, talk, ended up going to lunch uh, with uh, I think Dave Revson, Jerry DiNardo, Leon Squire, and I think Quentin Carter. And next thing you know, I'm, my agent's getting a call and say, hey, we want you to do, we want you to do studio work with uh, DiNardo and Revson. And I'm like, well, you guys, you know, I just took the job. I committed to doing the job at, at Illinois, the radio position. And he's like, oh, you can get out of that. And I'm like, I don't know if I can do that. Because I was concerned, you know, that Ron Gunther would not be too excited about the fact that, you know, I had committed to uh, being a radio personality. And then all of a sudden, what seemed like a couple of weeks later, just decided that I'm not going to do it. It was probably a couple of days. So I called him and, you know, asked him if, if, if he wouldn't mind allowing me to, um, you know, do the Big Ten Network instead of doing a broadcast for Illinois. And uh, he was graciously enough to say, hey, Howard, you need to go, you know, you need to go do it. You just mentioned you work with a great crew there and certainly yeah. you're like a natural. You really do enjoy it. <laughs> what say you, Howard Griffith? How do you see all this playing out? I, I think they have to be in. I, I think without a doubt they have to be in. What does that mean at the other spot? I'm not, I was 100% sure Ohio State was a lot. You know, I tell people all the time, it, it really is hard not to like it because it's, I'm going to tell you what I love about it. Well, one of the things I love about it is just being around young people uh, and, you know, covering the college game. I also have to be involved in, you know, what's going on recruiting wise as well. And, you know, so I'm involved in that. So some of, some of these players that are just finishing up or getting ready to finish in the next year or so, you know, I've been watching them since they started playing, whether it was, you know, flag football for this uh, national team here in Chicago, uh, boom. Uh, been watching them play there and, and just having an opportunity to travel along with my own kids to, to different tournaments. So it's fun to see young people develop uh into to great football players uh into you know radio personalities television personalities uh and, and to me that that's one of the best parts of of having an opportunity to work at the big 10 network 
If you want to hear more guests on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know, all you have to do is go to Last Word on Sports on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to the many wonderful interviews we've done dating back to January of 2021. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. We resume with Howard Griffith on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. The NFL draft is a couple of weeks away, and the Bears already made a major move by trading its first-round pick to Carolina for the ninth pick this season and more. And speaking of more, they also got the wide receiver DJ Moore. What were your impressions of that, and how do you think it's going to help Justin Fields grow? Well, I think one of the things that they have to continue to do is have pieces around Justin to to make sure that he is – going to have the necessary support, not only at the wide receiver uh, position, but more importantly, at the offensive line. So I thought the move of trading down and believing that the offensive tackle, which I believe that they'll end up taking, will be available. Um, And the question is whether it's the the young guy out of Ohio State or whether it's uh, Northwestern. I think Northwestern, um, Skaronski is really ready to play right now. He just chops that rusher's arms and hands away, renders him defenseless, puts him on the ground, and then when the rusher makes a second effort, Peter is right there to slam the door shut. Peter was a top-grading pass-blocking tackle in the country last season. When you look at some of the other guys, I think they're ready as well, but I think uh, Skaransi is so technically sound uh, at this particular point. Um, that he can help you immediately. And I think that's ultimately what they need, help on the offensive line, really to be able to keep Justin upright and start to be able to build that running game that they need. Well, what if, let's say, Jalen Carter is available Mm -hmm. to them at number nine? Yeah. What do you do then? (laughs) Do you take the chance? I I think you take it if if, if Carter was available. He's going to keep pounding it, though, see what they can do. Only about a yard, and Jalen Carter says, you're not going very far. Boy, this guy gets better every week. Yeah, I, I, I really think he's going to be the first non-quarterback team. And Jalen Carter! And he's going to win one-on-one battles all the time. I highly doubt that he would be. Um, you know, it's interesting. This year, there's been a lot of buzz that, you know, there could be four quarterbacks taken with the first top four picks. I don't know if that's necessarily true. I think um, there's some people behind uh, 
those four, the fourth pick that, that probably, if that was truly the case, will be wanting to try to trade up. And I think uh, teams are trying to create value as well. Uh, I think Will Levitz, who, who a lot of people are considered as the the third best quarter or, you know, the third or fourth best quarterback that's available uh, to me, it has superstar written all over him. I think he'll do a tremendous job. He started out at Penn State, finished up at Kentucky and really played well, even through injuries at Kentucky, he was able to still be successful. So I think that there are quarterbacks that, that are available, that the teams are going to covet. But when you talk about having a, a dominant defensive lineman, you know, those guys are, are, are rare. Uh, and when you have an opportunity to get one, you, you really go after them. And, and I think that's what, you know, some teams are, are going to start to try to value or see how, how uh, some of the teams in front of them will value him as well. I want to go back to Justin Fields for just a moment. Having watched him at Ohio State, and I imagine many of the games here for the first couple of years, what kind of ceiling does he have? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, when you talk about a ceiling uh, of a player, I don't think he's he's close just yet. I really don't. Um, you know, I didn't feel that way when he was at Ohio State. I thought it was so much more he had uh, that he was going to get better at. And that's the passing game, anticipating uh, but what happens, one of the things that happens, to, in my opinion, with young quarterbacks that are taken, particularly early in the draft, that, that are forced to get in there and play right away, whether it's the pressure uh, of the fan base or just the pressure of the coaching staff wanting to have uh, the best player out there is that, you know, he, you, they're rushed into situations. And when you're rushed, as a, particularly as a quarterback, sometimes you start to pick up bad habits. That's why you know, it's so important that they get the resources around him, resources being players, uh, to make sure he can continue to develop because you don't want to stun a quarterback's growth. And that's one of the things when you look historically at guys that have been able to be taken so high, uh, it's a reason that they were taken so high. Um, you know, the organization, for whatever reason, is not uh, fundamentally sound in, in the things that they want to do aren't don't have all the – the executives trying to pull in the same direction to make sure that, that these young players develop. And, you know, I think Chicago is now, you know, set course um, to really do a good job. I thought bringing Kevin Warren in was going to be a huge boost for what they're able to do uh, from an executive standpoint, but I think that's going to leak over to what's going to happen out on the football field as well. The Big Ten, Howard, had two teams in the Final Four, but Ohio State and Michigan were knocked out. Do you want to see an expanded playoffs to, say, eight or even a dozen teams? Well, it looks like we're going to 12 in 2024. 20, it looks like it's going in that direction. Now, in saying that, do I believe that there are 12 teams out there that can win a title? Nope. The way the current system was set up is it became so regional. And it became regional, so regional because you had Clemson in the mix. You had Alabama in the mix. Ohio State's been there. Um, you know, now Michigan has been there. But you weren't getting, you know, necessarily Texas or you weren't getting that West Coast team in USC. So I think what ended up happening is it, it kind of got stale a little bit. And I think there are always, you know, teams that can get in there and, and have an opportunity to win it. Is 12 it? Probably not. Now, I uh, found out something about you from a very reliable source. Pick who you think it is. You're an <laughs> avid bike rider. Uh -huh. Tell me a story. I don't know how you took a rather long bike ride to see your son practice at Notre Dame. <laughs> now, is the source 
Joe Biden, <laughs> Coach <laughs> Coach Billima, Anderson Cooper, or some guy named Revson? I'm gonna I'm gonna go with some guy named Revson. You're for, right. For 500. <laughs> <laughs> this is a true story, though. It, it is a true story. Um, it was interesting, right? So probably. I must have been maybe his sophomore year. I think um, I probably got in sophomore. No, probably his freshman year. I got into really riding, um, and I, it was up and down the lakefront, riding around the Chicago area, that sort of thing. And then uh, the group that I uh, ride with a lot was doing uh, a, a century ride, and uh, I had done a century ride with them earlier, uh, the hundred mile ride, but I couldn't do the the next one because the you know, they it would do one and then they would do maybe two more, but it was during during the season. So when when the guys in Champaign, some of the reporters were like, well, you do all this riding, you ever going to ride to South Bend? And I was like, you know what? Let me put that on the list of things to do. <laughs> you know, so I just I just put it in my memory bank and didn't think much of it. And then all of a sudden uh I, and this is, I, I do this kind of goofy stuff when it comes to, to riding a bike. It's, it's, I think it's late September, maybe, or mid-September. I'm thinking, I'm like, wow, wait a minute. If I'm going to do this ride to South Bend, I better hurry up and get it done. I mean, the weather's going to be changing soon. I don't know when I'm going to be able to do it. I literally wake up on a, probably a Wednesday um, early, and I had, I said, you know what? I'm going to South Bend today on my bike. <laughs> well, you're going to see your son practice. So did you stop along the way? Well, I, the only stops I made were if I, want, I wanted to take a couple pictures, take pictures along the way, or I had I had two flats. You had so two I had flats? To stop yeah, I got two flats. That's why you always got to carry three inner tubes. Two's never good enough. You got to have three. So <laughs> I have the flats. Uh, I was somewhere in... New Buffalo is where I was. Oh, yeah. In New Buffalo, Michigan, where I had the, my, my flats. So I decided, hey, I'm going to get this ride in. I, I need to go. I'm going to make it happen. Load it up. And, you know, I have this. I leave early. I wake up early. I leave. Everybody's still asleep. But I leave, uh, like, my GPS deal tells me where I am and all that. So they think I'm nuts. Everybody thinks I'm nuts. I'm not saying anything that I'm actually going to do this because I don't know whether I can physically do it. I'm just, you know, forget it. I can make this happen. And this was the longest ride I've had to, you know, in one stretch. So I had a couple of things working against me, right? I said, okay, well, when I would, this is one stretch uh, when you're in Michigan that you would think you were on, Pacific Coast Highway in California, the way, you know, the, the beach looks and the waves come crashing in and, you know, some of the homes that are sitting up on the bluff, it is unbelievable. So I'm taking my time riding through there, but I'm also have never been this, this route. I've never taken this. So I'm kind of feeling things out as I'm going. So it ultimately, I, I think it ended up being a, a eight hours, might've been eight and a half hours on the bike, uh, but I knew I needed to get to South Bend because I, I got to a point where, okay, well, maybe I'm going to miss summer practice. Maybe I'll catch him when he's leaving practice. Lo and behold, I don't do either, but I just know I needed to make sure I was there so I would have enough time so I'd be able to get on the train to come back. 
it was a six o'clock train. So, you know, I was, I was trying to get to practice or at least see the end of practice, then try to grab a bite to eat and then catch the train. So, you know, that was just one of those crazy things that I, I've come up with. But since then, I, I ride the bike all over the place. I'm going to, this summer for sure, I didn't make it happen this past summer, but I'm going to ride to Champagne. That is a, a must do that I need to get taken care of. And You're going to do this now. You're what, 55? <laughs> You're going to do 55. this? 55. I'm going to get it done. Now, you know, I've been, people are trying to talk me out of it. I'm uh, not going to talk I'm... you out of it. I just want to make sure that you wind up on the set when you're all done. Yeah, I'm going to do it in the summer. That way I have a t an opportunity to recover. You have two grown sons. At least one I know mm -hmm. played. <laughs> we know yeah. that now because you took mm -hmm. a nice eight-hour drive to get there by bike. Yeah. Did, you ever, did you ever encourage them to play football? I never did. I really, I, I never did. I, I think my oldest played because I, it's one of those things you don't have to play. You don't have to play. And I think it worked the opposite. So he wanted to play, but he did want to play. So he, he, he had fun. We played youth football, played at uh, the powerhouse here in Chicago at Mount Carmel and won two state titles there uh, with them. So, you know, he, he really enjoyed his experience and, you know, the youngest uh, also, you know, played my youth program went on to Mount Carmel and then transferred to, to IMG Academy in, in Bradenton, Florida, where, you know, he really, you know, has made some lifelong friends that are, that are all over the country playing at different institutions or playing in the pros or coaching here and there. So, you know, he's enjoyed his, you know, his experience. Uh, so he just wrapped up his playing career. So now he's, he's got the coaching bug. So he's waiting to see uh, where he's going to land his first coaching job. And, we're just kind of excited, excited for, for that and for what they're doing. And like I said, my youngest is actually working at the Big Ten Network. So he's quick to remind me that, that we are colleagues and coworkers right now. And if he wants, uh, if he, if I would like to carpool to work with him. <laughs> I mentioned, you know, whether you encouraged your sons because you are the president of the Hyde Park Neighborhood Junior Spartans yeah. program. Yeah. It's part of the United Youth Football League. Tell me what that's about, because nowadays there are a lot of parents who are discouraging their kids from playing football because it's dangerous. It's always been dangerous, but we're now seeing so many more injuries. Yeah, I think for me, it was a when I started the program maybe 12 years ago, I was looking for a, a youth football program on the south side of Chicago when we moved back to Chicago. But for a while we had to play. We were going on the west side of Chicago over in the Lawndale. Uh, and playing over there on the west side, which was a great experience for me and, and, and for my kids as well uh, to, to be involved and in, in, in ingrained in a, a different a different part of town. It's not the south side, it's the west side, it's not the north side, it's, it's different. And, you know, but, but I wanted to have something, you know, on the south side as well. And, you know, I finally decided, um, ended up, playing our first year, first six years, I believe, at, at Hales Franciscan High School over on the south side of Cottage Grove, uh, who had a, a wonderful uh, turf field and stadium set up right behind their behind their school. And, you know, I, I just wanted to, to give kids in our area, you know, an opportunity to go out and play. But I also really wanted them to, to have an opportunity to, not just the players, but for those players to be able to interact with, with other parents. And what ended up happening, which, you know, was, was pretty cool, at least 
I thought so because I really didn't get to coach. I had to talk to parents all the time about why their son or daughter wasn't participating in football or cheer that particular week because they didn't come to practice or they did something they weren't supposed to. So I spent a lot of my time as an administrator <laughs> more so than a coach. But to me, it was about exposing exposing our children and making sure that those adults were there and participating as well. And I can't tell you that, you know, how many times I see some of our young people that, you know, have really created some, some deep bonds and relationships and our parents that have created some unbelievable bonds and relationships um, with some of our players. I had a parent who... Uh, was living at the time, was living, working uh, in, the, in the Detroit area when the pandemic happened. And he literally, you know, uh, had guardianship of, of two of the other kids that were in our program so that they could go up uh, in the Detroit area and be able to participate in sports and have an opportunity to, to earn scholarships. And they were able to do that. So, I mean, to me, that's what it was really about. It was about the kids and being able to expose them and, and letting them see that, you know, it's, yeah, it's football, but it's also about creating lifelong partnerships and relationships with people who are going to have an opportunity to, to help them throughout life. It's about paying, you know, giving back to the community and, and trying to, you know, allow them to, to achieve their dreams. I ask this final question to all my guests, Howard. If not mm -hmm. for football, what would you have been? The the truth is, I have no idea. <laughs> You're not the only one. I have no idea because I've been around team sports my entire life uh, in one, one way or another as a participant in the Little League field playing off 83rd uh, <laughs> or playing in my first, you know, bitty basketball with the legendary Mr. Irving without football and team sports. I, I don't know because I've learned so much. Uh, I've, you know, learned what it is to, to be a hard worker, what it is to, to play within the confines of what a team asks you to do. But with football being such a major part of my life for my entire life, that's the only thing I know. So football has opened up so many doors and so many opportunities and, and taken me so many different places and, and allowed me to meet so many uh, incredible people that I couldn't imagine what I'd be doing <laughs> if I didn't have the sport of football in my life. Well, let me tell you, this has been an absolute delight. I was warned. Howard is the nicest guy you'll talk to. They weren't wrong. <laughs> well, I'm glad I didn't disappoint. No, continued success. And thank you, Howard Griffith, for telling me a story. I don't know. Thank you. My thanks to ESPN, CBS, Mike Reese, the longtime voice of Southern Illinois University Sports, the Big Ten Network, Sports Productions, and Prospect Primer for those terrific highlights. And my thanks as always to the people behind the scenes that help make this wonderful podcast possible. TJ Reeves for putting us on the map, Will Hatzel for his crafty editing, Nick Tochi for our wonderful graphics, and to our new partner, Last Word on Sports. And to our presenting sponsor, Mr. Duct. You can find them at mrductcleaning.com. Tune in next week when we feature another intriguing guest on Tell Me a Story I Don't Know. I'm George Hoffman and that's all she wrote. Well,
Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.